Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled, and you're in for a super special treat today because I'm so excited about our guest. She actually is a member of EO. You guys hear me talk about the entrepreneur organization all the time, and I've known our guest. I feel like I know her because she's actually one of our speakers at an upcoming conference that we've had to move a few times because of the pandemic, but that is all good. And Amanda was on a call and she's like, there's this lady, Deb, and she's amazing. You have to have her on the podcast. And so that day has finally come. So Deb, I'm so excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Oh, well, I'm really pleased to be here. And I love the story of, of how this all came about. And I especially love that Amanda said that I, I had my shit together and I knew what I was talking about. Um, so that's a good thing. I'm, I'm glad that, that that is the impression that she got of me from my presentation a couple of months ago. It was, it was absolutely amazing. And so before we dive in and tell all of our listeners that are listening or watching about what we're going to talk about today. And y'all like, you're so fun. Like your brand and everything is just so fun. Like I can't wait for everyone to hear just your perspective on things. But before we jump in and talk about it, can you give us the fast track version? I just want everybody to know like what your entrepreneurial journey has been and like, how have you gotten to where you are today? Yeah. Um, people ask me this question all the time, and this is probably very common for a lot of entrepreneurs, but I started out working in industry, uh, you know, having jobs. I, I actually started out my career. This is kind of fun. I started out my career. I worked in radio at the nation's first commercial alternative radio station in Oxford, Ohio. And then I worked as a journalist for a very short period of time and found out that I couldn't make any money. So that's kind of the first hint towards entrepreneurship took corporate job, worked corporate jobs. Uh, I'm a marketer. So obviously I had to do my time inside of agencies. Uh, And then no traditional job could contain me. Like many other entrepreneurs, I have problems with authority, unless of course it's me. Uh, And it was manifest destiny. I had to start my own thing. So the, the very last thing that happened to me as a corporate entity, which I had reached the pinnacle of of whatever I was going to reach in my career without being a CEO by being like a senior vice president reporting directly to the CEO of this organization, who was, by the way, an incredible mentor to me as an entrepreneur. And I saw what she was doing and I wanted to do that. But the very last thing that I did as a corporate person was I laid off 72 people in one day, uh, right after. uh, So 9-11 happened and then January came And this organization that I was working for, uh, you know, an agency where we had clients in the tech industry who were hiring a site unseen for $100,000, $200,000 a month. We went to like almost zero clients. And 
uh, I got promoted to SVP and had to lay off 72 people in the, in the Austin office all on the same day. I walked out the door that afternoon thinking I never want to be in a position where I have to do that again. It was one of the most horrible sort of gut-wrenching experiences of my life and probably my lowest point professionally. And then it was from that point forward, I was like, what is my path to entrepreneurship? So I, um, I, I stole a couple clients. I mean, I didn't really steal them because they'd gone down to nothing and it's hard to enforce a non-compete in the state of Texas. And I went and I stood up my own thing and I originally started out, I wanted to just be an independent consultant. I was going to bill by the hour. I was billing a lot by the hour, but there, there started to be this incredible demand for what I did in the way that I was doing it. And sort of this unique spin that I was putting on something that was like maybe an old topic. And Uh, then I found myself very quickly needing to hire helpers. This is everybody's entrepreneurial journey, unless of course they have a really cool product or something. But if you have a services organization, this is usually how it starts, right? And so I had to hire helpers and then, you know, and then I had to get office space and then I had to get telephones and all that kind of stuff. And then the rest is, as they say, history. Um, and then I would fast forward to, I would fast forward to like the last five years where my career is taken almost a different trajectory. I still have my, I still have my brand strategy and marketing firm, which I love and it's great. And it's this incredible playground and laboratory for the kind of work that I do. But I wrote a couple of best-selling business books. The first one came out in 2016 and somehow I managed to get myself into a lot of important media conversations. And I became the world's resident authority on botched corporate apologies and brand disasters. And then that spurred off my second book and, and this incredible career of just being sort of my own brand out there espousing the idea and methodology and philosophy of irrational loyalty. So um, it's been really fun and I, I'm not stopping now. I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. And I, I would love to know, and y'all will link your, your both of your books, but I would love to know how did you come up with the topic? Because y'all, so Deb did this video because she's speaking at this conference that I'm, I'm helping with. And it's like branding is sex and irrational loyalty. And I was like, Ooh, I love this. I'm like, tell me more. So how did you come up with that? (laughs) Yeah. So, so actually branding is sex is, is what started the whole thing. So, so the first book is called branding is sex, get your customer laid and sell the hell out of anything. And yes, Yes. I am the person who put the word sex and laid in the title of a book. My parents are so proud as you can imagine. (laughs) Um, But that actually like where that originated was it's an actual something that happened in my work. So, so deep, deep down, the best brands in the world are the ones that have the power to get their buyer laid. So, you know, uh, if you imagine branding is about helping people elevate up Maslow's hierarchy of needs until they get to this place of like ultimate self-actualization, when do you feel fully self-actualized? You feel fully self-actualized when you are performing at your highest potential. When you're performing at your highest potential, you want to take a roll in the hay, right? And um, it's a great story where this title branding a sex comes from. And that is, I worked with a now very, very famous tech CEO, which I can't mention his name but I sat in front of him in a meeting when I was working at this last agency that I worked for, when we were working on the launch of a very unsexy product that he was really, really struggling with 
And he was very much like in this world of speeds and feeds and bits and bytes and how many top uh, how many hops to a tier one network and, 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 and very, very binary functional, non-emotional benefits. And I was frustrated. He was frustrated. And he was sitting in one of those rolling chairs, like one of those rolling Herman Miller chairs, which probably a lot of people are sitting in right now. And just in a fit of frustration, I looked at him and I got right down real close to him and I made eye contact with him. And I was like, okay, at the end of the day, how does this server operating system get that IT guy laid? And he rolled back in the chair and he was like, oh, I totally get it. And then he told me this incredible story uh, about how, you know, this product was going to provide an emotional and self-expressive benefit above and beyond anything functional that the company could offer, because that's not differentiated. The only true differentiation is uniqueness. Fast forward to, I'm writing a book, I'm working with my publisher, we're trying to come up with titles. Like I had a cutesy little title. I was like, oh, brand new world, you know, like brave new world. And they were like, Meh. and then I, I told, I told my editor and the publisher, this story that I just told you. And they were like, uh, so what does that actually mean? I said that the best brands in the world get people laid and they were like, you should call this book branding as sex. And Love I was it. like, okay, so that's where it came from. And then, um, I am a branding person. So I'm like, I'm, yep. I should be, I, I should eat my own dog food. Right. And then irrational <laughs> loyalty, irrational loyalty is the result of great branding and irrational loyalty is this connection that people have that it's indelible where something is so indispensable to them that it becomes part of them that that when they think about using an alternative they feel like they're cheating on it that is irrational loyalty. And I had an experience with that this weekend. So I'm at my home in Utah. My favorite place to ski is this place called Alta, which is like literally right up the street from me. I could ski there every day for the rest of my life. This past weekend, I drove up to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And when I was skiing there, I felt like I was cheating on Alta. But I love Alta and Alta loves me back so much that like no matter how many times I cheat on her, she always welcomes me back. And so I'm going to go up there this afternoon. But irrational loyalty, it's how you feel about your iPhone. Are you an iPhone person? Of course. So, yeah, I'm so irrationally loyal to the iPhone that, um, you know, I'm also a I'm also a dating human a, you know, a, a middle-aged single woman. And so like, sometimes new people text me and if they have green text bubbles, I immediately judge them. And I'm like, mm, me you're too. not my kind of person, right? Me too. <laughs> okay. So that's irrational loyalty. So, um, I I've been, I've been fortunate to, to have the universe bestow on me some ingenuity, creativity, and some magic with words. I totally get it now. I completely get it. Because in the event world, when I was traveling so much to like all these different brands and we worked a lot with the Rosewood brand and it was definitely, it, and it still is one of my favorite brands. When I travel, I like to go stay at a Rosewood, but sometimes we get clients who want to go to a Hilton property or a, a Marriott property. And that's totally fine. Or Ritz Carlton, which is Marriott property, which is totally fine. But I'm like, but there's, there's Rosewood too, yep, <laughs> and yep. I totally get it now. And it's, it's a level of, for, for me personally, it's like a level of customer service and the customer service. But if the client wants something different, I have to go with what the client wants. 
And, but, oh my gosh, talking about the whole iPhone droid thing. So I posted a TikTok a few weeks ago, something about like an iPhone and a droid and people went crazy in my comments, like at each other, not really at me, but I'm just like, oh my gosh. And there's all kinds of funny TikToks and, and also reels on Instagram about people like making fun of like the blue and the green text boxes. But it does create a communication barrier, especially when I'm traveling out of the country and you can't communicate with the people who have droids unless they're on WhatsApp, you know, which then you have to have a third party app, but it, I totally get it now. Like, oh my gosh. And those are, you know, and that's a functional, that's a functional limitation of the droid platform. What I'm talking about in the irrational part of this is the fact that I immediately judge another person over the fact that they have green text bubbles. I judge them either they're, they're a nerd or they, um, they're probably not going to be a good fit with me because they don't have, they don't, they don't have the same kind of device that I have. People want to be part of a group, right? Like people naturally, um, glom together. And I talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like we all have belongingness needs. And this, this also is something that is, is part of branding that, um, you know, I, I also think this is kind of funny. I drive a Subaru out here. I have a Subaru in my garage and, and whenever I show up someplace in Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, Colorado, whatever in my Subaru, like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a local, right? Like I'm right. I'm, I'm part of the group and, and I belong here when I see people driving Mazdas up into the canyons to go skiing. And I'm like, ah, tourista, you know what I mean? And, and there's, there's absolutely nothing rational, rational about that. And my whole stick is that the best brands in the world are the ones that become part of the user that you know, something about them. And more importantly, they know something about themselves through the use of whatever brand that is. And that applies, whether it's a consumer brand, like we've been talking about, or even B2B brands. I, I guess that in your event planning business, that the conferences and organizers that you work with time and time again, it says something about them that they hire you just in the same way that if you bring an event to a Rosewood hotel, that says something about the event to the events attendees and things like that. So, so that's the essence of what I do. I kind of cracked the nut on that. I focus pretty firmly on B2B technology brands in our business practice or brands with a technology enabled value proposition, which is a place where there's not a lot of sex. Um, I think there's drugs and rock and roll, but there's not a lot of sex there. And uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's brought me a lot of success in my career. And so um, I, I, I can't not do it. It's literally a compulsion for me. I love it. So everyone that is listening or watching right now, they're all a brand They're They own a everyone. business they're, they're Even if you don't own a business, you still have a personal brand. And so for everyone that's listening and watching, what would you tell them? Like, how do the biggest brands in the world create that irrational loyalty? Like, what are some things that people can do so that people want to be part of that group or that community? 
Uh, I love that you said that everybody is a brand or has a brand. So you are a brand, whether you like it or not, your company, nope. you as an individual, if you're an individual contributor, mm-hmm. you're a creator, you're an employee looking for a new job, you own a company, you're a solopreneur, or you work for one of the biggest companies in the world. You are a brand, whether you like it or not, and you need to take control of it and manage it and not leave the narrative up to the rest of the world to take care of it for you. Yes. It's, it's like, you know, amen, sister. I like that is, yes. that is the most important thing. So start thinking of yourself as a brand, whether you like it or not. Uh, The best brands in the world, they do four things. They do these four things. The first thing is they aim their brand at a singular, ideal, archetypal customer. And I'm talking one person. They create an archetype of the person who is perfect for this brand. This podcast probably has an archetypal ideal customer who you are aiming this at. The best brands in the world aim their brand at a singular North Star customer. Doesn't mean that segment marketing is dead. It doesn't mean that there's no such thing as personas, but the best brands in the world. Think about Nike, for instance. The Nike brand is the Nike brand is the Nike brand is the Nike brand. Whether it's the NFL, it's a high school athletic director, it's an individual recreational athlete, you know, who's 52 years old from Austin, Texas. It's a pro golfer. It's a recreational golfer. It's the high school gymnastics coach. No matter who they are selling to, the Nike brand is always tapping in to the inner elite athlete inside of all of us who happens to be like a 19 year old man right? That's who they're aiming the brand at that clarity, that focus, that, that likeness of that person. When, and when I work with clients, I actually make them draw this. I say, get Mm -hmm. out a big piece of paper. When, when we were doing things in person, we would use those big sheets of butcher paper and we'd lay one out on the floor and we'd trace somebody's body and then we would draw them. And so if they were a good listener, they had big ears. If they had a lot of money under their control, they're standing on a giant pile of money. Um, My ideal customer for our company is actually based on, it's based on a real person who has worked with us at four different organizations as she has grown in her career from like director of marketing to chief marketing officer of one of the biggest software companies in the world. She's taken us with her. She's irrationally loyal to us to the point that when she negotiates her employment contract, she negotiates into her deal that she can bring us in as her agency. There's nothing, there's nothing less rational than putting your entire professional reputation on the line. Right. And she has something called a golden shovel and her golden shovel is the thing that if she doesn't have budget immediately under her control, she can go and dig for it. So they, they, these best brands in the world aim their brand at a singular ideal archetypal customer. And then they answer these three questions. If you do nothing else in branding, just do these four things. Question number one, what does it say about that person that they use this brand? What it says about her and her name is Lindsay. It says that she doesn't have any time to waste. She's not screwing around. She has a lot at stake to get it right. She needs an innovative partner who's going to push her and, and ensure that not just meeting her goals, but exceeding her goals. And she looks like a superstar. She's an award winner. Like she's one of these people who wins marketing awards in the industry, recognized as a thought leader. She's done that largely in part because of our support. So the first question is, what does it say about that person? Second question, hardest question to answer. What's the one thing that you get from us that you can't get from anyone else? What's the one thing that your ideal customer gets from your brand they can't get from anyone else? Here's a hint. It's never a feature. It's never an option. 
it usually is an essence, but more importantly, it's a superpower and it's an ability. So what's the one thing that you get from us that Lindsay gets from us that she can't get from anyone else? She gets a kick in the ass. Most marketing agencies sit <laughs> I love back. It. They sit back, they're waiting to catch the assignments yep. and they're like working a plan. What she wants is she wants to be pushed and propelled and pushed harder and faster because she's working for a billion dollar company, right? And yep. in order for them to create change, they need someone to push them outside their comfort zone. So they get the kick in the ass from us. Third question, this is the sex question. Sort of like, you know, how do you get the customer laid? The third question is, how does your brand make your customer a hero in his or her own story? How we make them a hero is like, we knock the goals out of the park. We don't get compensated based on effort. We are focused squarely on results and that is your result. And what they get from us is the ability to create that condition of irrational loyalty. We so much want to transform the love-hate relationship that people have with their agencies into a love-love relationship that we want our clients to be so irrationally loyal to us that we won't just do the best that we can, but we'll do whatever it takes, even in some cases, if it means that we have to hire someone else to do it. So um, the best brands in the world, they, they just do those four things. Ideal customer, what does it say about a person? What's the one thing you get from us? And how do you make your customer the hero in his or her own story? If you do nothing else in branding, you've got it. I love it. So I love that you say this because it makes me feel like the last time we launched one of our online courses, like we're doing the right thing. So we went through the whole psychographics of what does this one person believe? So yours is Lindsay, ours is Carol. Carol's okay. in her mid thirties. Carol's married. She has two kids. She's had a business for five years and she knows that something needs to change from a productivity standpoint. So what is that? And Carol wants her business to succeed. So mm -hmm. when you're sitting here talking about Lindsay, I'm like, yes, Carol. And you know, they sound like, yep. okay, we're doing something right for this new online course. So in, and it has made such a difference in the way that people respond, like even to the copy and the way that we have branded this whole program. And so really taking into account and talking to that one person, it, whatever you put out there, it, it, the world, the universe brings you back those, those, the right people. Isn't it? It's like, isn't wow, it this shit works. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the interesting thing is like, I've sat in front of many organizations are like, oh yeah, our ideal customer is a working busy mom. All right. That's not enough. Like I could, I speak at a lot of conferences, like I'll be in a room with like a thousand people and I'll say, raise your hand if you're a busy working mom. And, and I don't know, out of a thousand people, I might get 400 hands raised. And then I'm like, how old are your kids? Do you work outside the home? Do you own a company? What position are you in? Are you married? Where did you grow up? What are your hopes, fears, dreams, desires? What makes you sit bolt upright in bed at night? What makes you feel sexy? What makes you feel whole, all of those things, the psychographics, attitudes, behaviors are way more important because if you just generalize your offering to, we are for busy working moms, you, you haven't done enough. And most of the business strategy and planning methodologies don't go far enough. That's why Lots of scaling up coaches are using my ideal customer archetype methodology. That's why I have lots of coaches and consultants who are like 
learning that methodology so that they can bring it to their, their clients so that they can help those clients achieve their business goals faster and with more focus. I love it. I I absolutely, I, I love all of that. And it's like, we didn't like draw the person out on the, on the ground, but we definitely went through of like five pages of like, just whiteboard, the big post-it notes of like, this is what they believe that all the way down to shopping. What do they drive? What do they yeah, what want? Do they drive? What do they look like? Are they wearing yoga pants? Are they wearing Converse? Are they wearing work boots? Like, you know, uh, what brand of makeup is she wearing? What, you know, what kind of car does she drive? Does she shop at Whole Foods or at Safeway? Th- these are, you know, what's in her shopping basket, understanding these different things. And I'll challenge you, Angela, is if, if you take that, create a drawing of that, create a likeness of it and bring it to your meetings. There, there's something, the reason reason that I make clients draw it. And usually like if I'm working with clients, we'll be working with like a huge group of people, like the whole leadership team and marketers and whatever, and we'll divide them up and they'll each draw their own. And then they have to create their own amalgamated view. The idea is to take that and socialize it through the entire business. Whenever we do business strategy planning for my company, we bring our picture of Lindsay out, which, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have talented graphic designers who work with us, who turned Lindsay into like an infographic, but Uh give her a seat at the table. And it's really important to give your ideal customer a seat at the table. That is okay. Y'all listen, say it again say it again. Cause this is Give your really ideal important. customer, a seat at the table, bring your ideal table. customer, bring your ideal customer to your strategic planning sessions. Make sure that everybody is worshiping at the foot of the ideal customer. Make sure that every single person in the company, all the way down to the person who answers the phones or, or empties the waste baskets all the way through the CEO, because the CEO owns branding. The CEO is in charge of branding. Everyone else are stewards of it, but the CEO ultimately owns it. And if you don't believe me, then you can read all of these stories about how CEOs have tanked their own companies through their own behavior and their words and their actions out there in the marketplace, because how you show up as a brand is more important than what you say. And the CEO owns that. Make sure that that everyone in the company is completely, I hate this word indoctrinated, but I don't know another word for it, but everybody is indoctrinated to who that who that ideal customer is. They know the answers to those questions. They ultimately know how your brand gets your ideal customer laid and everyone in the organization is on board and aligned with that because branding like business strategy is like probably 99% alignment and 1% ideation and inspiration. It's so true. It's just, it's so important. Like we had a client once that I'm like, this is what the data says. This is who your target audience is. And he's like, but I want to do this. And I'm like, but that's not who your ideal target market is. And your results that you're going to get, you're not going to be happy. You're like the results. And so if you're, if your avatar or your client avatar doesn't have a seat at the table, then it's not going to convert. And, and what we're doing is not going to work. So I guess we're not going to be able to work together because I'm not going to waste our time. And I don't want you to waste your money if you want to do what you want to do, but that's not who your target market is. And that's what the data says. Yeah. And that client that you're talking about is probably not your ideal customer either, because your ideal customer is somebody who is going to collaborate with you and think strategically and, 
um, be focused and be oriented towards doing what's right by their customer, their end customer, uh, and not, you know, be driven by their own whim. So one of the, the last thing about the ideal customer, because I can't say enough about this, the last thing about the ideal customer, it gives you the opportunity to say yes to more things, but more importantly, to say no to the things that are not a good fit. And saying no is probably more important than saying yes. And it, it keeps you from doing things that maybe don't work. And when you when you look at the things that have happened over the past year with the pandemic and the resurgence of the social justice movement, uh, now with Asian hate and, and whatever, we have a lot of brands that are coming to the table trying to take part in a conversation. And they're doing it in a really, really inauthentic way. The reason why it's coming off as inauthentic is because they've probably lost focus on who their ideal customer is and how they can be in indispensable to that customer in that moment. And the ideal customer, like that archetype really should be the North star that guides everything. I don't know who said it. Um, I wish I could claim this quote as mine. And when I find out who said it, I, I, I need to go meet them. But when you aim at nothing, you hit it with accuracy a hundred percent of the time, just knowing that. who you're going for and who you are built for answer so many questions and everything else kind of emanates from that. I love that. I love that quote. I'll have to like go search it so we can use it in the show notes, but that's just, it's so important. And, and you're a hundred percent correct. It's like, I had to sit overnight and really think, okay, if we let this client go, who was a large client for us at the time, that's going to be X amount of dollars of revenue, but it's the right thing to do. And, and also it was pulling my team in directions that is not on course and it's not our process. And you're right. Like we strive to make sure that we are working with the right people because the results are going to be different if we're not. And so after letting that person go the following week, all these people started coming out of the woodwork asking for things. I'm like, did everybody roll isn't over it, and wake isn't up? It interesting. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how that happens? We had a, we had a similar thing. Like I fired a client. I fired like probably, you know, at the time who was our biggest client. This just happened two months ago. And Mm -hmm. also this particular client, um, was contesting the work that we did for them. And it, and, and the whole thing ended up in me like writing a settlement check. I mean, everything about this felt horrible to me because I was like, I can't believe firing a client. I'm going to lose that revenue and I'm going to give her $12,000. But then at the end of the day, I was like, it's just money. I'll make more. Exactly. What that did was like, it, it opened up more psychic space and more physical space to take on clients who are a better fit, immediately replace the revenue, immediately made back like the settlement arrangement. I mean, this was, this was such an issue. Um, I'll tell you like the, the client just was not a good fit for our business was not, was not kind to my team members, you know, Mm -hmm. showed up in a way that made people lose hair and like rock back and forth, you know, in their seats and things like that. And, um, the more work you do for your ideal clients, the more elevated your team gets, the better you are that like what you put into the world, you attract. So a hundred percent, I wish I could figure that out for the dating world, but I'm working on that. Me too, girl. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I say these things because 
I think sometimes people that are listening or watching, they think, oh, these business women are, everything is perfect and everything is so smooth. And it's like, no, I've been in business almost 20 years and shit ain't perfect. And it's never perfect. But what it has taught me over so many years is like, it's given it, I'm sure you too, like the confidence of saying this is not going to work and this is not going to be good. And it's okay to say, I'm not for everybody. This is not a good fit. Go find someone who can run in and side by side by with you and what you believe in what you want, because I can't do that. And so it's almost like, like you said, showing up being inauthentic, because if I don't believe what that person believes, and I know better, I know the data doesn't lie. So why would I allow that? So it's, it's just getting rid of that toxicity is such a healthy thing to do. So healthy. And the ideal customer archetype is the thing that like helps you understand like what is toxic, what isn't toxic. I mean, if it smells like fish, it probably is fish. And I'll tell you this, like very authentically, like I I've been running this company for 18 years, right? I still wake up every single day thinking, how am I going to F this up today? right? Mm-hmm. Every yeah. single day. It, it never goes away. Um, life is real AF still, yep. even, I, I mean, I feel like I, I'm at the top of my game. I've been doing this for a really, really long time. I, you know, I am recognized as a person who's an expert in my field. I, it is death defying entrepreneurship, business leadership, being, being an executive, being an employee today, I think is death defying. Like there, there are so many twists and turns and, and whatever. Um, believe me, I I am not resting on my laurels. Like I, you know, uh, I, I second guess lots of decisions. I, uh, think about things that I said and things that I did. And I'm curious about whether or not I actually made the right decision. I'm, I'm a, I'm a decider. I'm a person of action and, and I charge into things sometimes like headlong without, without really thinking about those things, but every single day I I'm questioning it. So, um, it is not easy out there. People it is, it is not. And, uh, I think it gets easier, but it's mm-hmm. still as hard today as it was on October 7th, 2003, or whenever it was that I started this company. Uh, I still have, I have doubts. They're just bigger and higher stakes now. Yeah. And, and it never, that that's entrepreneurship period. <laughs> like it's a yeah. journey shit's never perfect. And if it were easy, everybody would do it. I don't know who said that, but it's like, I say that all the time. It's like, everybody would do it if this were easy, nothing's easy. And it's not for everybody. And that's okay. So for, as we wrap up, is there one thing that anybody listening or watching, is there something, is there one key thing that people can focus on if they want to scale and grow their organization? Like, is there one thing they can do? If you only do one thing, I'm going to go back to this ideal customer archetype. It truly is the thing. So like I said, I've been doing this for a really, really long time. Before I started doing it in my own company, I was doing it for other people's companies. When I have seen organizations scale rapidly with focus, 
by making the right choices, by developing the right products and services and taking them to market in a way that bonds with people deeply, emotionally, creating that irrational loyalty, it's because they have made the very hard choice of figuring out who their ideal customer is. That it is, it is the one thing that has been completely transformative to the businesses that I have worked with and also businesses that I've been watching over the course of my career. So, you know, that is the common thread that the organization knows who their ideal customer is, that they double down on that to the exclusion of everything else. They put a velvet rope around what they do and they scale with, with, fierce focus, like they're relentless about it, which it sounds like that's what you're doing. That's definitely what I'm trying to do. That's what all my clients are doing. Otherwise they're not my clients. Um, but that, I mean, that is the one thing. If you do only one thing, it really is that. That's awesome. And so you have a download for our audience. So we'll put that in the show notes, but if anybody wants to reach out to you and your company and connect with you, what's your favorite platform or what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, let's see. Well, these days, like you ride up a chairlift with me. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, it's funny because we were talking before this started that I met some people yep. in common with you just last week doing exactly that. That's my favorite yes. platform. Um, not everybody, not everybody has access to that. And the ski season <laughs> is about to end. So like, come to Utah and like ride the chairlift with me at Alta. Yes. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the best, the best way to get in touch with me. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, you're interested in irrational loyalty or branding of sex, or you're interested in uh, videos, free digital downloads, downloads of book chapters, all that kind of stuff. You can go to debgabor.com. Easy as that. Uh, if you want to reach the company, the company is called Soul Marketing, S-O-L. I am not the person who named my company shit out of luck, by the way. That's a really good story for another day. Oh, that Soul. stands for shit out of luck. I, I didn't know. Okay. It does That's not a... stand for shit, oh. shit out of luck, but it stands for it. Soul is a word in Spanish, which means sun. Um, oh. And so, yeah, I, you know, I took something from my, from my central Texas, my central Texas roots for the company. It's the sun, like in Spanish. We illuminate things, we shine lights on things, but there's a really good story for you and me over drinks, perhaps at EO Nerve. Um, yes. and, and I'll tell you the origin story of that. So anyway, Soul Marketing is the company. Deb Gabor is my site. I'm all over the social medias, except for like, I'm not on TikTok. Like I'm a 52 year old woman. I'm not <laughs> on TikTok. I'm not the ideal customer for TikTok. It's crazy because when I, I see these years of things, so it's like when Facebook first came out, it started for college. My brother's yep. like, you're not in college anymore. You can't have a Facebook page. And now it's like, as new things evolve, then it's like the average person on Facebook, I think is 50. 65 or something. Oh, 65. Like okay. No, I don't think it's 65, but that, <laughs> yeah, but the average age is going up and this, you know what, that is the, um, that's the technology adoption cycle. And there are many, many people who have, who have written about that. I think Jeffrey Moore in Crossing the Chasm uh, mm -hmm. was the first place that we actually saw that where we, you know, you have early adopters and then, you know, you kind of go into the chasm and then you had like sort of rampant scaled adoption where, where things become, 
you know, where they become everyday use and then they go almost into like extinction and obsolescence. And um, it, it, it is an interesting thing. And it's something that, that I have to deal with. I like, I'm late to the platform, honestly, like I'm too freaking busy. It's kind of like clubhouse. Uh, clubhouse yeah. is another place where I've spoken a couple of times on clubhouse, mm-hmm. but clubhouse is full of early adopters and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to be there. The problem with clubhouse right now, it's a vast wasteland where, where the people who are influencers on clubhouse are not vetted. There are a lot of fake people out there. Yep. Amen. There, there are a lot of people out there who are posing as something that they absolutely are not, including yep. an ex-boyfriend of mine. And it makes me angry every time I see him posing as something that he's not. Um, it, and, you know, so some of these things have to be vetted and proven out and, and things like that. I mean, and then we have technology platforms like Remember Vine, Remember Periscope. Yes. I mean, yes. a lot of these things like, you know, we'll, we'll see, um, you know, TikTok is a platform that originally started for people to share dance moves, yeah. right? You yep. know, and here we are, like people are talking about branding on TikTok. Now, if your ideal customer is using TikTok and TikTok is part of who they are and part of their identity, then you have to be on TikTok. I don't think I have to be on TikTok yep. right now. So, so that's what I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Lindsay and I are hanging out on Instagram and LinkedIn right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, if at some point my, my ideal customer is a TikTok user or whatever the next flash in the pan, you know, platform there is that is sharing our private data with, uh, parties in China, then, uh, I'll be on that platform. You know what I mean? Yep. (laughs) I was just talking about this though, with a guy yesterday that we're working on a course for him. And he's like, I got asked to be on this thing called clubhouse. Are you on that? And I'm like, well, I got it. And like you, I mean, I've gone to, to, and been invited to speak in a few rooms, but I had to turn the notifications off. It's extremely, uh, just annoying, like to get all these notifications. And then if I pop in a few rooms and then listen to some people who say they're experts and I'm like, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I just leave the room. And, and then it, it's just a turnoff of wanting to be on there. And, but it gave him a business idea when he got into a room and he's listening to all these people talking about what he does. And he really is an expert at that. And he's like, yeah. I've got to create something because <laughs> he's like, I'm, I'm almost 60 years old and these kids don't know what the hell they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and they really don't though. And it's like, oh, you want to be a million dollar coach? How many million dollars have you made yourself before you start talking about how you're going to help somebody else make a million dollars? And, and we, we looked up a few people and I'm like, but you know what? You're always 10 steps ahead of them anyway. So, mm-hmm. but it gave him like a whole business idea. So it's, it's all interesting, but this was so much fun. Everybody listening. Thank you so much. We'll put all the show notes. So if you're driving or running or walking, cause I know you guys multitask because Carol multitask is listening. <laughs> we know that because people tell us because they need help with productivity. That's why they're listening. So this was so helpful. We'll put everything in the show notes and everybody, hey, if you want to know more about how to really hone in on your client avatar and to invite your person to have a seat at the table, reach out to Deb and we'll put all of our information there. Deb, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. This was fun. Awesome. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Business Unveiled. Bye, y'all. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, 
get shit done. Would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at AngelaProfit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights and I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.